Hi, welcome to Summit Church. We are one church in multiple locations in Central Florida. We believe that your story, told truthfully, is good news to those who are near to God and those who are far from God. And no matter where you find yourself, you are welcome here. Join us in listening to this week's sermon. Hey, what's up, Summit Church? So good to be with you today. We're grateful that you are joining, watching wherever you may be. Uh, if this is your first time or first time in a long time, we wanna say a special welcome to you. And we'd love to tell you, uh, if you would fill out the Connect card that on the QR code that's on the screen right there, we'd love to tell you more about why Summit Church is the place to be. Well, we're in a series that we've been in for the last few weeks called For Everyone. And the premise of the series, which I've talked about every week, is that it's our desire to basically be a church that's for everyone. So no matter what your story may be, what your experiences are, whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or maybe you're still exploring what Jesus means for you, we want you to know that Summit is a place that you can belong. As we are beginning to understand and say around here, Summit Church is a place we believe you can belong long before you believe. We believe that when Jesus created the church, his intention was to create a church that came without judgment, without condemnation, but a place where you are safe to, to explore the truths of Jesus. He wanted this church to be for everyone. And if we're going to be a church for anyone, we have to be willing to make room for anyone. Now, what that doesn't mean is that as a church, we're going to forsake the truth of Jesus. No, we will teach the truth of Jesus because that is part of our DNA. The truth of Jesus is what gives us hope in this life and the life to come. But what it does mean is that we're willing to remove barriers that are keeping people away from finding and following the way of Jesus. Actually, let me just say it better. We, we, we want to remove unnecessary barriers because, again, the truth of Jesus is a necessary barrier, but we can remove unnecessary barriers that may prevent someone from experiencing the beauty that comes with finding and following the way of Jesus. Why? Well, we believe that this local church, this local collective of people who are all imperfect, mind you, who are trying to follow Jesus, we believe that through Jesus, it is the hope of the world. And we want to do whatever it takes to inspire someone to find and follow the way of Jesus. Today, I wanna talk about what it looks like to invest in those that you're praying for. Remember last week, we talked about the four that God has called you to be praying for. Well, I'm gonna tell you something that might make you reconsider the idea of me being your pastor. Now, I'm a sucker for conspiracy theories now, okay? And I'm not talking about things like who's behind the assassination of JFK or election rigging or aliens, okay? No, I mean like deep government, secret spies, government facilities hidden in well-known places. There's a stretch of a highway in California called the PCH, the Pacific Coast Highway, or the 101. It's this incredibly beautiful highway that runs along most of uh, the California coast, SoCal, all the way to NorCal, Northern California. And we've driven that highway many times in our time there, and I am absolutely convinced that there are secret government facilities inside those mountains. I know that sounds ridiculous, but I am. I will often find myself late at night when I can't sleep thinking about those mountains. So I'll read everything I can get my hands on about that area. What has historically happened there? What are some of the strange stories that have been reported in those areas? I mean, I am so fascinated by it all. Why? Because I love a good story. And even if it's a story surrounded in mystery, 
Honestly, we all love stories. We all love a good story that keeps our attention and moves us. I mean, just think about why we're so drawn to things like Netflix or Hulu or whatever streaming thing you're binging right now, right? Like, why are we so captivated by that show? Well, because the storyline has got us. It's got, it's got us wrapped up and we just can't get enough of it. You know, one of the reasons why I love sports is because often you get a player or a coach or a team that has a compelling story. And if they win, they're winning against all odds. Stories are just powerful tools to help connect people in moments. And there was no more powerful storyteller than Jesus. I mean, he would use all kinds of object lessons and prop and humor and history and current events. And when he told these amazing stories, now we call them parables, but that's just a fancy term for stories. These stories were full of incredible insight and profound truth and life-changing wisdom. And he would, he would paint this compelling picture of God's kingdom in such a way that ordinary people like you and me, like we could actually understand. And the ordinary people in Jesus's crowd had that day had probably heard the self-righteous religious leaders preach down to them a lot of times, but they, they had never really heard anyone teach like Jesus. I mean, he, he taught like someone who actually knew God. He taught like someone who actually liked them. And he taught like someone who actually wanted them to understand what he was saying. And even though he was like super humble, at the same time, he spoke like someone who had the authority to speak on God's behalf. Like, I'm thinking of this moment where Jesus was surrounded by a bunch of people talking about all kinds of things. And one of the religious law experts of the first century, he wants to test Jesus to see if he he teaches what he's supposed to be teaching, right? So he asked Jesus a question about the qualifications for eternal life with God. Now, Jesus makes the man answer his own question and starts to teach how there are only two qualifications. Here's what he says. Loving God with everything we got and love your neighbor, okay? Now, that answer, it wasn't good enough for the religious expert, okay? So he wants to kind of duke it out with Jesus. So here's what he does. He asks Jesus a follow-up question. He says, well, then who is my neighbor? Jesus, when you say neighbor, okay, what kind of people are we actually talking about here? And so Jesus responds by telling him one of the most famous stories that we've talked about in the world, commonly referred to the story as the Good Samaritan. Now, Luke retells this story in his writings in chapter 10 of his book. Now, the story begins with this Jewish man who would be in the same ethnic group as the guy who is asking the question to Jesus, right? And in the story, the character of the story is traveling by foot from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, the road that he, that goes from Jerusalem to Jericho is a really steep and twisting, winding road called the Jericho Road. Now, it's not some 10-lane freeway. It's just a few feet wide in some spots. And if you get off the road, well, you, you basically fall off this big mountain cliff, okay? Uh, and so it's so bad that this road is no longer open to the public. So the story begins with this Jewish man traveling down this steep, twisty, winding road. And some criminals, they, they, they take advantage of the many good hiding spots along this road. So they jump the guy and they beat him up and they take his clothes and they take all his money and they leave him for dead in a pool of his own blood by the side of this Jericho road. Now, Jesus throws a huge plot to 
twist. It's one of those like, whoa, didn't see that coming, like kind of moments. Like, 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 man, Bruce Willis is dead the whole time in the sixth sense, or like, you're kidding me? Darth Vader is Luke's dad, or oh no, Derek Shepard is actually gonna die in this hospital bed. It was one of those kinds of moments, right? Jesus shocks them by introducing the most unlikely hero that his Jewish audience could have imagined. He literally takes the last person in the world they would have expected to help a Jewish man in trouble. The person they would expect to be the villain if he or she shows up at all. He takes, you know, one of those people to be a hero of the story. You got any of those people in your life? You know, the last four years have definitely exposed a those people attitude in the hearts of so many people, including myself. Like maybe even in our just, man, we just have those people, man, we just cannot stand. And the attitude of superiority is so far from the heart of Jesus. Here's the thing. It was never a those people with Jesus, just people. The only one who really is superior just saw everyone as priceless. You know, you and I have never locked eyes with someone that Jesus didn't die for. His grace is for everyone. So in this story, he flips the strip by introducing one of those people as the hero. Now check out how he builds the story. He says, by chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over, looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side of the road. Okay, let's pause there. Now, he takes the ones that most in the crowd would have assumed were the knights in shining armor and instead paints them in a less than flattering light. And, and here's the thing. You could remove priest or temple assistant and you could replace that with Michael or you. Like we all pass by the man beside the road on Jericho, right? So I wear these glasses, okay, because I'm what they call nearsighted. Uh, all that means is that I struggle to see things far away sometimes and I have astigmatism in my right eye, which means that sometimes things can look out of sorts when they're really not. And the reason I mention that is because I think we all struggle sometimes with spiritual nearsightedness. Like we can struggle to see other people's problems and trials, but when it comes to us, we see so clearly and we are only focused on ourselves, but we can get pretty self-absorbed, self-centered and very self-focused. You know, that's how spiritual nearsighted works. It, we are only focused on making our life look good, but those in a distance, their needs, their hurts, their habits, their hangups are all really kind of just foggy to us. So things like global poverty or racial injustice or sex trafficking or the broken foster care system or hurting people, like we may agree that those things are wrong, like we've, that's wrong. It's their problem, not ours. We're only focused on our lives and our problems. So Jesus continues the story. He says, then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Now, if you think, let's pause there. If you think the unrest in the Middle East is a relatively new thing, you're ill-informed. Oh no, there have been some long time history here. For thousands of years, going all the way back to Isaac and Ishmael, the two sons of Abraham who came from two different women, there has been a hatred and a prejudice and an animosity between them. These people had destroyed one another's temples. 
The Samaritans actually scattered human remains and bones in the Jewish temple. I mean, it got so ugly that Jewish children were taught that if they passed a Samaritan on a dusty road, they were to immediately go to the temple and have a priest ceremonially wash them or they would be declared unclean by God. In fact, the Jewish law allowed anyone to testify in a court of law except Samaritans. Why, you ask? Interesting, because one of the stipulations for testifying was, and I quote, you have to be human. Even though they believed in the same God and even descended from the same people, the Jewish regarded the Samaritans as religious and social half-breeds because generations ago, they had intermarried. They had built their own temple and allowed all kinds of idol worship and other false religions to creep in. And the Jew, and in the Jewish mind, there was no way that a Samaritan would ever be allowed into the kingdom of God. I mean, they called them dogs. So Jesus challenges their thinking and blows their mind by introducing this despised Samaritan as the hero of the story. Now, two things. The Samaritan saw the man. He noticed He didn't go through life with blinders on. And not only did he notice, he had compassion. Now the word here used for compassion basically means gut or churning, moves from your gut to your heart, into your hands, your feet, in your wallet. The story continues on. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged him. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to the inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, we don't have to look very far to realize that there are a lot of people hurting and hurting for many different reasons. Some of you right now might be dealing with some physical pain, going through chemo, complications from a previous medical procedure, maybe facing a major surgery, maybe trying to deal with a nagging injury, or you got like arthritis attacking your joints. I mean, there's a lot of physical pain in this world. And almost everybody you meet has or experiencing emotional pain. I mean, you can see the physical wound, but sometimes in our insensitivity, we don't sense the emotional wounds around us. I mean, a lot of people these days are lying by the side of the road with emotional pains. And this story, this story reminds us that there are people all around us with needs, like neighbors and family members, coworkers, classmates, and teammates. I mean, they need to know that there is healing, there is compassion, there is truth, there is freedom, there is joy, there is hope for everyone. You see, unfortunately, the man lying by the side of the road found out what many have discovered, that there are not too many places hurting people can turn to because so much of the world just walks on by. You know, one of the things when I started in ministry, I promised myself that I would only ever work at churches that viewed themselves as safe havens, as a trauma center for the wounded, hurting people. I wanted to be a part of churches that were safe places where people could find hope and healing for however they've been wounded by life. Can I tell you, I'm proud that Summit Church is the very definition of that. And our goal isn't just to have our current locations and make people come to us to find Jesus. No, 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 no. We want to go to them. 
One of the things that we are dreaming about within our vision lanes here at Summit is that we want to be a church that plants churches. Or better yet, we want to plant local trauma centers, safe havens here in the state of Florida where people can be inspired to find and follow the way of Jesus at their pace in a safe place. But here's the thing, it doesn't stop there. No, no, no. These trauma centers extend outside the walls of the local church into the communities, homes, apartments, condos, dorm rooms, ball fields, parks, grocery stores, nursing homes, and coffee shops. We're going to love people right where they are and point them to the great healer in Jesus. You see, we are willing to risk it all for the sake of it all. And when I say take a risk, you do know, you do know that love is risky, right? Like love costs you and me something. And honestly, sometimes you're going to get burned. We're going to get burned. They may not be grateful and things may not turn out the way we hope, but we will ask, what does love require of us? And we're gonna ask for wisdom and we're gonna take a risk and we're gonna love. I mean, this guy lying in the pool of his own blood alongside the road had nothing to give back to the Samaritan. He had been robbed of everything he had. And you know, there are a lot of other things this Samaritan could have used his money for. Like maybe he had some teenagers at home who needed bracelets, or maybe he had a wife who had been talking about replacing the countertops and or going to Maui, or maybe he needed a new donkey because his current one had over 100,000 miles on it now, right? It would have been so easy for him to, to, to have the reason, you know what, I'd help, but the timing is just not right. I, I got too many things on my plate right now. You know, this is just not a good time. But the hero of the story opens his heart and he opens his hands to build a trauma center of hope for this hurting guy who could never repay him. You see, love is a verb. Love is a decision. It calls us to action. It calls us to invest in the people God put in our path. You see, when we see people lying by the side of the road, when we see evil and the consequences associated with bringing pain and suffering into a family, into a city, into a nation, into a global community, the people of God, we step up and we build trauma centers of love. Paul says this, what is important is faith expressing itself in love. He writes again, let your love be your highest goal. Just like some of us who who set goals at the beginning of the year, this is saying with careful thought and plan for action, let love be your highest goal. Work harder at that than anything else. Whatever choices you make through the day, first and foremost, decide to love. Now, when Jesus had finished telling the story, he spoke to the man who had asked the original question, who is my neighbor? Here's what Jesus says. He says, now, which of these three would you say was the neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus says, catch this, Jesus says, yes, now go and do the same. Let me ask you, who is your neighbor? Who is in your path right now? Who is God calling you to invest in? And might I add, where are you in the position of power to show mercy to someone? Just like the Samaritan was in the position of power in that moment, he decided to use his position of power for the sake of the hurting. That's what it means to show mercy to your neighbors. Now, we believe that the four names you wrote uh, down that you've been praying for, right, and, and, and that you're, you're, you're thinking through, those are the neighbors that God has called you to invest in right now, in this moment. 
There is a reason they keep showing up in your life on purpose for a purpose. God has chosen you and all of your imperfections and failures to inspire them to find and follow the way of Jesus. Now, the logical question you might have after getting your head and heart around us is how, how, how do we, how would I do this, Michael? Well, you can go on our website and you can click on, uh, on our resources and you can see this idea of bless. Now, bless simply stands for B, begin with prayer, L for listening, E for eating, S for serving, and S for sharing your story. Now, we're not saying that this is the be-all, end-all way of investing in your four, but we do believe that this is a great way to start making an investment. Now, let me clarify. The investment you're making isn't a bait and switch. It's, it's, we're not saying to become friends and care about people showing up in your life only so that you can inspire them to find and follow the way of Jesus. What we are saying is that as a follower of Jesus, you have the light of the world in you. And it would be absolutely selfish to withhold the beauty and truth of that light from those who are in your life on purpose for a purpose. Now, our communications team has done an excellent job at putting together a whole page on our website where you can find all the blessed resources, including the entire message series that we did last year that explains why we believe this to be one of the best ways to make an investment in the lives of those who are showing up in your life on purpose for a purpose. Now, there's going to be a QR code on the screen right now that you can scan that'll take you directly to that page, okay? Now, let me say this. This may seem like a gimmick, a ruse to get more people to, to come to church, to be a part of church. Can I tell you that would be so far from the truth? This is about recognizing that there are people who are on a current trajectory of spending eternity apart from their creator, who are on a pathway of living a life that lacks the beauty and transformational truth we find in Jesus. Can I tell you that breaks the heart of God? And we are trying to do, what we're trying to do as a church is care about the things that break God's heart. I mean, it's about the heart. A heart that beats after the same things God's heart beats after. It's about compassion. Let's refuse to ignore those in the margins. Refuse to check out of this broken world. Refuse to pass by on the other side. Refuse to go into isolation or comfort mode. Let's take risk. Let's build trauma centers together. Let's open our hearts and our homes. Let's take off the blinders and see as Jesus saw. And let me tell you, if we do that, man, think of all the stories we'll have to tell. Now, you might be watching today and you might say, you know, Michael, I've been walking through life and I've been in trauma. I've been in pain and I'm living a life apart from the beauty that comes with following Jesus and I want to I want to make that choice today. I want to say yes to Jesus. If that's you watching today, can I tell you? It's as easy. It's not simple. It's as easy as though admitting that you need Jesus. That your life apart from him is not the life you should be living. Believing that Jesus is the son of God and that he died for you. And choosing today to say yes to him. If that's you and you made that choice today, can I tell you? All of heaven rejoices and so do we. And we believe that you are on this journey now with Jesus and it's going to radically change your life. We'd love for you to let us know so that we can come alongside of you in this new journey as you follow Jesus. Let me pray. 
Jesus, thank you so much, God, that you have built trauma centers for the hurting, the wounded, the broken, people like me, people like those that are watching, God. Lord, we pray that we will continue to be a church that opens its arms, opens its doors to all who may come to seek you, Jesus. Lord, all we're trying to do is inspire people to find and follow your way, Jesus. Would you empower us to do so? We pray this in Jesus' name and the house said, Thank you for listening with us today. You can also watch our video services on YouTube or at summitconnect.org. And check out our show notes to link to our website and follow us on social media. Now go in God's grace and peace. We hope you join us next time.